Audio conversation with Nadine Lelich, recorded Thursday, November 15th, 2012. I first heard about Nadine through Barbara Lamb. Now, Barbara Lamb is a uh, family therapist based in California, and she also does work, therapy work, with people who, who claim the first-hand uh, contact experience with what we might consider aliens, um, so UFO abduction research. And and Barbara wrote a book along with Nadine, and the title of the book is Alien Experiences. It was published in 2009. I purchased it, I think, in 2010, and it sat on my shelf. And uh, it was during an interview with Barbara Lamb, which took place earlier this summer, I think June of 2012. And uh, during that interview, uh, Barbara said, Ooh, you should interview Nadine. I think you would be a good fit. So I took that as a recommendation. I read the book. I searched out Nadine online. Uh, She has a little bit of a web presence in the sense that she has done a handful of interviews. I made an effort to listen to those. And I will include uh, one of those in particular, which I thought was quite good. Uh, I'll include that on the show notes. Uh, let, Let me add that she also has a website that she shares with Barbara, uh, called Alien Experiences, and that would just be Alien Experiences, all one word, dot com. Now, there are a lot of people out there who have had very similar experiences to Nadine. What separates her from, from that, that crowd is her even-keeled nature. She's, she's a very persuasive witness. Uh, experiencer and and ultimately a spokesman for this kind of contact experience. I don't mean spokesman that she's advocating it, but I mean spokesman that she is a very strong voice for the challenges that people are are experiencing, the people who claim this first-hand contact experience. Uh, You'll sense that right away in the interview. Now, um, before we did the interview, I spoke with Nadine on the telephone for, it actually turned out to be about two hours, uh, the night before we did this interview. And uh, one of the things that came up, which I thought was interesting, is that she and I both lived in Southfield, Michigan, at the very same time. She's a little bit older than I am. Uh, I would have been 19 years old in 1981, and that was the year I moved away from Southfield, leaving it forever, to move to New York City to go to college. Um, So I remember very clearly, this was a big deal for me, it would have been September 9th, 1981, and that was was when I left my hometown of Southfield. Now, uh, upon talking with her, she had been living in Southfield, Michigan, in 1981, and she moved away forever in August of that year. So here we are, um, both of us connecting in 2012, uh, 31 years later, and both of us have a story about uh, leaving this little town in the suburbs of Detroit uh, within uh, a month of each other. I, I I feel like maybe it's a flaw in me that I latch on to these these odd little coincidences, but um, but I thought that one was interesting. Now during the conversation we have, uh, I made a an effort to not get, uh, I don't want to say bogged down or tied down to the actual experience, but we didn't dwell too much on the retelling of events and memories of her direct contact experience. 
I was much more concerned and I felt like we, we dug deeper into the to the overall repercussions of what these contact experiences might mean, whether that would be in a strictly psychological sense, there's a lot of issues, it's very challenging for folks, or whether a more spiritual sense, you know, there is a component to this that, that feels like it has a transformative quality to it. Uh, this is this gets very murky and and tricky to define, but we but we make a very real effort to see the overall phenomena in a in a larger framework and how that interacts with the uh, you know the spiritual essence of the individual. I would advocate folks listen to this interview for that reason alone. Our conversation is just a little bit shy of two hours long. Please enjoy. Nadine, I want to thank you so much for saying yes to this interview. It means a lot to me. Well, it's my pleasure, Mike. Now, I uh, found out about you through Barbara Lamb. I bought one of her books uh, at a UFO conference, and um, it, that book sat on my shelf, and I recognized your name, and then I heard you interviewed, and then I interviewed Barbara, who was going back in, early in the summer, and at some point in that interview, she kind of said, ooh, you should, you should interview Nadine. Yeah, this would, that would be a good fit for you. So here we are. We, I finally got it all together, and, and w- one of the things I wanted to sort of impress upon the folks that are listening now, and, um, and also let me just uh, you know, come clean that you and I did speak uh, we were supposed to have just a short conversation. We ended up speaking for about two hours last night. And you sort of fall into the category of of a very credible person who has an incredible set of experiences. And if you could just give me a little rundown on, before we get into the anomalous stuff, uh, just your, your day-to-day life, just so folks know who you are. Surely. Um, well, basically, I live a fairly simple life. Um, I um, work a regular 8 to 5 job like many people. I work in the legal industry. Um, I have um, a, a very uh, typical, simple social life, uh, many interests. I'm an avid reader uh, involved in a number of other pursuits in the way of um, art and writing. Um, I would say just basically I have a, a fairly conservative lifestyle. Uh, in that I've had a stable life for a long time and uh, a studious life for a long time and probably one where my focus would be um, I like a certain measure of balance and predictability in my life um, and I'm I'm very grounded Uh, I would say that's my friends would certainly say that about me I'm very grounded, I'm very emotionally balanced I'm not prone to any kind of uh, extraordinary or outrageous unusual behavior um and it's it's a good life it's a very basic very good life that i have good good well that's that, so that helps because um yeah i just that's that's one of the things that struck me in a youtube video that i saw online um as i was getting ready to do this interview uh and what's you know what i was what i came away with was that you uh were a very respectful uh and even keeled presenter and and that is in a funny way that's a little bit rare in these circles sometimes i'm not 
I'm not particularly prone to drama. As a matter of fact, particularly in the arena of human relationships, um, I like balance and peace, and uh, and certainly not somebody that's going to run around and promote a lot of drama and sensationalize issues. That's not my style at all. Great. Quite the opposite, actually. I'm more analytical. I, I tend more to break things, experiences down into pieces, look at it from a scientific view. I mean, I'm, I, I have a very strong emotional development, too, on an emotional side, but everything kind of goes through the screen of uh, my intellect. And uh, I, I like to have, um, I like to understand what's going on. I'm very much a, a researcher by nature, and I, I like to look at information. I like to know the facts of things. So I'm not prone to come to any kind of uh, rash uh, conclusion or judgments on anything. Good, good. You had an experience in 1991 in Sedona, Arizona, which is now 21 years ago. Um, So you would have been an adult. And that experience sort of set you on a a new life path, didn't it? Am I I reading too much into that? Well, I think that what it did is... um, I didn't say so much that it put me on a life path. It jolted me to the core of my being. So what it did is it it broke through my conditioned view of the world. And most of what I knew about the world... Now, for example, I'm interested in in astronomy, cosmology. Um, I understand and have strong interest in scientific pursuits... I love uh, studying science. I love um, the new science of um, different, you know, nanotechnologies and things of that sort, uh, quantum physics. I love all of that. Um, but even that, those studies are more um, more traditional, more academic, more accepted. This experience cracked me wide open um, because it was unlike anything that I'd ever experienced. It wasn't anything that I had previously had any strong interest in or studied. Um, so what it what it did is it got my attention in a very, very big way. And it shook me to the core and said, there is more. There's more than what you see. Um, I already had a lot of flexibility in understanding things, you know, I, uh, contemplating the different possibilities, the way that, you know, the third dimension, our world is constructed. And, uh, but this said to me that it was even bigger than that. This said to me that something was happening to me, something had happened, something that was so extraordinary that I knew it was more of an intellectual and emotional shift that said, your, your life will be different. My life wasn't instantaneously different, but I knew I was headed in that direction. Now, last night when we spoke on the phone, um, I actually wrote this down because uh, this is something I struggle with. Uh, it would be very easy to uh, categorize or label. These are th- this it gets very challenging when, when it comes time to put things in little boxes. But um, to describe yourself, uh, some people would say, you know, they might describe you for you and say that this would been, have been an alien abduction, you use the term um, direct anomalous contact with life forms that are non-human. Um, that, just what I said, is a, uh, that's a big deal to me. And how did you integrate that into your life? Well, 
first of all, I was very aware that I had limited information. I was aware that I was traumatized by the experience because you'll recall this was a a fully conscious awake contact. Here, oh, just for just for the listeners, um, I don't want to get too stuck in this one event. But could you just give a rundown of, of what happened? Uh, very simply, camping in in a fairly remote area uh, outside of Sedona. Um, van was opened up in the middle of the night. I had a companion. My friend was with me, a longtime girlfriend of mine. We were sleeping in the back of the van. Um, she never awoke through any of this, and it took her many hours before she actually awoke. So she was rendered unconscious somehow, and I was removed from the van in a conscious state. And I was removed from the van by non-human entity. And um, I understand now when I look when I look back, and I have more understanding as years have passed, that people in this particular field would tend to describe at least one of these life forms as a gray. Um, at the time, I wasn't sure what was happening. What I did know is they were alive, they were real. Um, they had taken me from the van. I had a hand come towards me that pulled me out. It had three fingers and a thumb. Um, and what happens to you at that time, um, and through that experience, I had... Oh, probably I was rendered uh, relatively paralyzed in an upright condition. I was levitated off the ground a certain amount, and I was moved forward uh, towards a very bright light. That was initially my only awareness until I was returned to the van and um, was very awake. Uh, but there was a certain piece of time that was missing. Uh, but what happens is that you don't have any place to put this. And so that's what I was left with after this experience. Um, my friend was, I could not uh, wake her for a number of hours, uh, no matter what I tried. Um, she was very compassionate. She had an open mind about things. I certainly didn't describe to her at the time that I thought this was an alien life form. Um, at the time, you're in a, almost a state of shock because I have a tendency, as I said, to, to analyze it, label it, what am I dealing with? To try to sort it through. I was not able to sort through this because I had no reference point and I had not read any books on the matter. I hadn't studied anything. So therefore, uh, after this experience, we left the area. I canceled my vacation with her. We went right back home and I was quite terrified emotionally and struggling greatly internally. And after that experience, basically, I shut down on it and did my very best to not think about it because there was nothing I could do with it initially. Yes, and so the, you're describing a little bit of what what I have, you, you know, whatever, what, what you're saying is something that I understand. Now, in during that event, um, in the book, um, Alien Experiences, um, very fairly early on, that this event is, is, uh, is written about, and you, you are very clear that, that you experienced a sense of fear that was... Uh, profound to say the least terror sheer stark terror that goes beyond description because you cannot uh, you cannot really mentally embrace this experience Uh, there's 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 almost a mental psychological shock taking place because while it's happening you're telling yourself this can't be happening what is this? This can't possibly be happening. 
and you're wishing that it's something else. And I, I very drastically in my mind tried to tell myself, was there something else going on? Could I be having some kind of hallucination? Well, I've been an avid, you know, have had an avid interest in psychology almost my entire adult life and done a great deal of reading on the subject. And I could not categorize it. I couldn't put the, the, uh, that current state of mind and emotion. I had no way to identify it. It did not, I could not come to terms with it or categorize it in any way. So the only way you can do that is you finally have to. It was so intense that after about two days, I had to shut down on it and set it aside and go about my business. Of course, it, nothing ever goes away. It creeps up into your consciousness because it's an unresolved issue. And, and none, for, certainly for mental health, it's not good to have unresolved issues you know, hidden away in the closet of your mind. It's not a good thing. It will keep coming to the surface. And in the following years, um, you had more experiences, and you you made a very real effort to document them, journaling, as well as uh, you know waking up and and writing down dreams, as well as memories of what you know would probably have been a contact experience in the night before. Yes, I have been very uh, prolific in my um, detailing and writing these experiences, and. Um, a, a good deal of conscious contact experiences have taken place over the years. I moved uh, shortly after that period. I, an obsession grew within me to move out from where I was living in California at the time and to literally transport myself to another state and, and to live in a very remote area. And once I did that, within a seven-week period, actually, seven weeks, um, I found I was having a, a regular number of experiences happening. And the, one of the major tools that I found is since I was not able to communicate this to another person for fear of judgment and how it might impact my work pretty much wherever I go. I found myself working in the legal field one way or the other. And I certainly want to keep this kind of thing separate from a very conservative arena that the legal field is. So I turned to writing and I turned to journaling. And um, as the years went on, when some of the experiences would be so detailed, with so much information, I recalled so much, I would actually um, come back uh, and go to the computer and I would record, uh, do an audio recording in order to preserve as much of what I saw, felt, and experienced. Well, this is fascinating. Now, I'm going to get back to this. Now, this is one of the questions I had written down, and I wanted to ask you this last night, and I held back. Now, you just, you've, you, uh, in a way, answered parts of it right now. You used the term obsession when you wanted to move to this new area. Um, we can yes. edit this out, but um, mm -hmm. that, was, that was New Mexico, correct? Right. You used the term obsession, and then this would have been uh, a move to New Mexico. And I just want you to, can you describe that obsession? I, I don't want to lead you anywhere, but I'm, I'm fascinated well, by this. Well, over the years, there have been a number of instances that have occurred that I would interpret or describe as an obsessive quality that came over me. Um, and generally, that obsessive quality... Um, it's certainly related to this particular, this ongoing contact that happened to me. Uh, and it escalated, escalated dramatically after that particular, my initial conscious experience. Um, 
the feeling that I had was that I needed to do this. I had to do this. I had to move out to this area. I had to leave. I had to go. Now, certainly, I can tell you that I, you know, I had originally come from Michigan, moved to California in my late 20s. Um, I always loved the Southwest. So that isn't a mystery. I mean, I loved New Mexico, Arizona, um, Utah, all those states in there. I loved them. I'm, I love the desert. Um, so that in itself isn't strange. But what was strange about it is that um, after this experience, I absolutely had to do this. Um, it was a burning desire. It was a desire to change my life. It was this thing that came over me that was... I was never, I was always unsettled after this experience. I'd come back and there were a couple of months in there and I was very, very unsettled. And I went and bought an airline ticket and I flew out to New Mexico one weekend, made the decision there. Uh, I was going to move out here. I was in, uh, in Sedona, not Sedona rather, but um, Santa Fe. Santa Fe, particularly then, you know, it's still a relatively small town, but then, you know, within 10 minutes, you can drive from the center of town and you're out in completely remote area. You know, it's wide, wide, giant open spaces. And um, I felt called to go there. I felt driven to go there. And I didn't, I didn't really um, necessarily tie it in at the time as to what that was about. But what was interesting is once I went back, I packed up. I didn't own a home at the time. I was leasing. So it was easy for me to, um, um, to you know, embark on this journey, which I did. And uh, But no sooner had I been, once I got there, uh, probably within the first 30 days, I started having some very strange uh, experiences. And those experiences would say, you know, um, drive out of town. Drive out of town, move out now, go outside right now. Um, and I had a lot of strange impulses that was not like me at all. And those impulses would be lay down and go to sleep right now, lay down right now. And I would lay down right now. And it wasn't a voice. I can't say that it was a voice or anything that I heard. But these all seemed to be associated with experiences that followed. So I would have this urge to get in the car and drive, and it wouldn't be far when you're living there, five, ten minutes, and be outside on a long, long road. And then, of course, I'd have missing time after that. So, I mean, the implication is, uh, and I'm speculating, Mm -hmm. is that, you know, this obsession came from an outside source. That's that's. Eventually, what I came to terms with, yes, I do believe that. I believe on some level, somehow, I was motivated externally, yes, wow. to, okay. to leave my, my area, um, and experiences happened. It was a very prolific time uh, of these anomalous contacts while I was there in New Mexico. So in night, so the, so the event in 1991... Um, forced you to document things and to look into things and then um and you have only recently come forward with your own set of experiences and that that uh that involved a relationship a a therapist relationship with barbara lamb correct yes um one of the the really notable things that i've noticed and what's interesting here is the fact that having uh, having not read nor studied 
the phenomenon of of ET contact um, or even really UFOs. I really hadn't done any of that. Uh, I think I mentioned the other night, probably, you know, when I was younger, I watched things like Star Trek. I certainly watched ET when it came out, but I really had not made any kind of a point or study of of ET contact or UFOs or any of this. So, um, right, I had not read anything. Um, so, uh, again, uh, no preconceived ideas about this, but this is what I noticed. I noticed that during certain times of my life, there was more contact than others. And one of the times that there was a great deal of contact is when there would be a trim- some kind of emotional um, dramatic or emotional experience in my life, particularly during a death, um, some kind of a death or a loss in my life. Now, for example, uh, when my father died, my father died in uh, February of 1999. I had a mind-boggling contact at a ho- at their house in Michigan. This is just after he passed away. I went back there to, my mother had Alzheimer's and I went back to pick her up. I brought her back to live with me. Um, and I had to close up the house, get it ready to sell, that kinds of things. And it was a very emotional time during the funeral, everything. Contacts dramatically increased. They were longer. More things happened emotionally. Um, moving forward to 2004 is when my mother passed away. And at this point, again, it's like we're looking at about 15 years by then. I'd kept it quiet to myself, this whole thing. I'd never gone talk to a therapist or anybody about this, never pursued it. I only talked to my one friend occasionally who was on that initial experience with me in 91. Now she passes away, and I have another overwhelming experience after she dies. So what I noted, not just in these experiences, but I noted two things, that somehow whatever contact is taking place, they are very aware of me. These I am triggering my emotional my emotional makeup. What's going on with me emotionally seems to trigger some kind of response or send some kind of notice to them. That's when I began to explore the possibility that I do have some kind of implants in my body. Something where I'm being recorded, contacted, something, just like a lab rat. I came to terms with that. By the time that happened, there had been enough things that I had observed. I had noted in my journals all these details. And I realized that this is sending some kind of signal. This does. This is not a coincidence that when there is some major emotional event in my life, I'm drawing the attention of this experience suddenly comes to me more um, than ever before. Um, so in 2004, when she died, basically, I was, I'd done a lot of caretaking for about eight years, eight, nine years with, between the two parents. And I cared for them myself in my home. And um, it, I don't have any children. And um, I, I'm, I'm not married, and I had plenty of time at that point, and I was fed up. And so I decided that um, for once and for all, I was going to address this issue in my life. I didn't have anything else. I'm just my normal life, and so I was done with it. I was fed up. I was done with it. Uh, The experience that happened to me after my mother was quite intense. The contact really speeded up 
where normally, you know, I could possibly go six months and have one. Um, during these in, these times, there could be three in a week. Whew. That's enough. That's that's. I was fed up. That's when I finally went to uh, and I went to um, went to the internet, started looking for somebody I could talk to, and I didn't want to talk to anybody that was going to um, color my view in any way. I went to a MUFON, Mutual UFO Network. I, I joined that, started going to meetings. I was just, that I have to say, first of all, to be in a room full of people. This was the first time I'd ever gone, and this was um, in probably mid-2004. And I went to uh, Costa Mesa has, in Orange County, has a regular monthly meeting, meeting Orange County MUFON. Walking into a group of people, where there's 200 people in a room, and you begin to see books and things and people talking and sharing and hear speakers talking about these subjects that I flatly refused to discuss or look at and certainly felt very isolated and very lonely in this experience because there was no one to talk to. Uh, and suddenly I walk into these rooms and these people are addressing the issues that I've kept locked inside of me. Well, it was amazing. I spoke to a few people and after a short while, a couple of months, I was able to make a couple connections with a few people. And Barbara Lamb was one that I settled on. And uh, I met with her um, probably two or three times initially. I think it might have been like February 2005. And uh, she was wonderful. Um, I told her that, you know, I had gotten her her name and from, um, I actually walked up to her in a meeting and um, I told her that, you know, somebody pointed her out, and she said she could see me at her home. I went to see her shortly thereafter and pretty much asked her not to really tell me anything. I needed to tell her what had happened to me without any feedback. I didn't want to color it. And she was marvelous. And I got a chance for about an hour and a half to rant and rave and vent and... Um, express myself in a way that I had never had the opportunity to. And there was a lot of rage and a lot of anger. I definitely cried a lot. And, I mean, I was pounding my fist into my hand. I was, was, I was very, very angry about this whole issue, about this kind of disruption, intrusion, violation into my life. Uh, like something it was trying to victimize me. And that... Of being a victim is just definitely not something that is uh, something that comes natural to me. Mm -hmm. um, and then um, at some point you decided to come forward with your story. Well, she and I, we taught, we met a few times and we got along famously, first of all. And um, I liked the fact that she did not um, in any way try to coerce me. But by then, I had been attending for about a year the fun meetings. I had started to actually look at things online to see if there were people out here that were actually looking at this. They were considering it seriously, considering it that there was a viable possibility that our planet was indeed being visited by extraterrestrial life. Um, and it's a slow process. It's a slow process. I resisted. I fought it on one hand. Another part of me embraced it and said, this makes a lot of sense. This could, this could really bring a lot of clarity and a lot of sense to my life. 
and I like to have a peaceful, grounded life. And that's what I was looking for. So about a year after meeting Barbara, I would see at meetings. Sometimes we got together and talked. Um, we eventually came together. And I, I recognized that what was happening here was that I was healing. I was having, um, I was coming to terms with the issue. I realized that it was not necessary that I absolutely, conclusively define what was happening to me. Because first of all, I don't have enough information to do that. The best I could do, I realized, was create a hypothesis about what was going on. And there was some safety in that. Because unless you have some kind of solid, concrete evidence that you can look at and, and that, that you're comfortable with, um, it's, very, it's very difficult and I, I think it's a little rash to make those kind of decisions. So what I realized is I would be free to, I could be free to explore this, to learn, to read, to study, to talk about it, to start to share, go to these meetings. And I didn't have to say, oh, I'm absolutely experiencing uh, alien contact. I'm an alien abductee. That, that wasn't necessary for me. It wasn't required for me to step into researching this. And as I began to share with Barbara, um, I recognized she'd been working a long time with a lot of cases. I came to terms within about a year after that of realizing, okay, there is, there is a reasonable possibility that what I think has happened to me actually has happened to me. It's certainly worthy of more investigation. I may never be able to find the kind of concrete evidence I would like, but it's quite interesting to see there's a world out there and there's many, many other people that are having similar experiences. So we made a decision, we talked about this, made a decision to sit down and pull some of her case files. And I saw this as a cathartic experience for me. I I realized that it's just it's a healthier thing to step up to something and face it. And by doing research and looking at the studies and, and working with other case files, I realized I would have a tremendous personal growth through this. And indeed I did, because I'd had no exposure. I made a point of taking about six months, and actually probably more than that, um, maybe maybe 10 or 12 months, of doing nothing but writing and, and sharing my story, writing it down more, looking through all of my journals, categorizing things, getting as much out as I could. I began to draw pictures of my experiences, do more and more sketches, and I tried to get as much as I could done out of my own experience that I was con could consciously recall. I did probably a half a dozen regressions with Barbara Lamb, who is a regression therapist also, and she took me back to the events. It was interesting because I had mixed feelings about regression. I felt more confident in my conscious recollection than I did in regression. But what I did notice is that regression, I, I've only done a half a dozen on different, different um, um, consciously recalled events. Nothing came up that, that conflicted with my recollection. It only expanded upon it or um, confirmed, gave me more confirmation, interestingly enough. Um, yeah, so anyway, um, what ended up happening is I decided to take the files 
and I took the files from her and I went through them. She went through some of the files. And as I went through these files, this is after I had put down the bulk of my, my material. I didn't want to color it again. I was shocked. I was amazed. I was stunned. And I went through a more cathartic experience as I read. When I would read an event that might have transpired in England at a totally different time frame, uh, perhaps a male that was 20 years my senior, he describes exactly a kind of a light ball that came in my window, and it had very specific qualities to it. He describes it. He describes things that I've not told anyone. Repeatedly, again and again, I heard of events as I read these files that corresponded with mine. So this was, for me, ultimately, a huge part of my healing process. And that began, uh, working with the other files, exposing myself to other information, that began somewhere a summer or fall of 2005, something like that. Wow, okay. Um... No, I take that back. That would have been 2006 by then. 2006. Oh, that's very interesting. So now 2006 was when I initially, which would have been in the early winter of 2006, got involved in a documentary. Um, so this to me is this to me is interesting. These I, I'm paying very close attention to these timelines because I, I have been seeing a pattern of people coming forward. Mm. Oh yeah. Um, oh, so th- it, this this pattern is something that. Um, that I sense in myself, and I've I've seen it in others, and and you know maybe I'm projecting just because it's it's my own experience, and just this that date of 2006, you know, sort of coming forward is it, it's it's consistent. There's a, there's these dates between about 2006 and 2008. I cannot tell you how many people I've talked to who basically said they they came forward, or they felt compelled to come forward, or they said you know they just knew inside that now was the time. Um, mm-hmm. And and that that I'm just trying to make sense of that. Now, one thing that that could be is when you look at the you know the big uh, you know timeline of the of the internet, that would be about the time when there would have been you know most people at that point would have had access to the internet and could um, you know actually see that the other people were doing it. So they could have just been inspired, and it could have just been um, you know uh, you know the the, the inspiration could have affected them and then you know affected others in the same way just the availability of the internet so that's one way to look at it. but but i'm i'm uh, i'm very intrigued by these dates now since the publication of the book you have been receiving letters and uh, is and can you just share what like the content of these letters are the theme that you're seeing mm-hmm. uh, i have in the last um the last couple of years probably received 500, over 500 uh, contacts from people. Generally, they're letters, emails, email letters. Um, I would say that out of that, first of all, I would say mostly I don't get, um, I don't tend to get skeptics or hoaxing or or, um, you know, I, I don't tend to, a lot of this comes through my website, alienexperiences.com, and I'm very clear on there, uh, don't waste your time, don't waste mine. 
If you have an experience, if you have a problem, you have an issue, you want to make a contact, you have a contribution to make, if it's genuine and sincere, fine. Um, so I get pretty sincere contacts coming through there. And overall, what I find is the majority of these contacts are people in distress. Some seem to, I would say, probably out of those that are, are that are having also having anomalous experiences with non-human entity that most of them tend to think lean to believe that it is extraterrestrial as opposed to interdimensional um, I would say that three-quarters of them are disturbed uncomfortable uh, probably a quarter of them are extremely uncomfortable and actually emotionally uh, and psychologically suffering not knowing how to handle this, very much like what I went through. Um, there are some, a small percentage, I would say maybe, I don't know, somewhere between the smaller end, 5 to 10% that seem to have accepted it. Uh, some, maybe 5%, that revel in it. They're happy with it. They've integrated it into their life. They're, um, they're, the experiences they are having seem to be with uh, friendlier, more benign, um, even possibly helpful contacts with a different sort of being. Uh, I note that there are different kinds of contacts that seem to be taking place, but the overall tone with the vast majority is these people are hurting, and they don't know what to do with it. They don't know where to take it either. They want desperately to resolve it. Uh, I, they seem to come, a lot of them tell me their full name, their telephone number, which of course I would never disclose, but um, they are genuine and sincere, and they want help, they want to process, they want to know what to do with this, how do, I, how do I live with this, how do I have two lives simultaneously, I can't talk to my wife, she'll think I'm crazy, I can't tell my children, I can't tell my husband, what do I say, what do I do? You know, I'm living with this horrible secret uh, and fear. Um, one of the other things I noticed is that if you don't, if you don't make some commitment to resolve this and to uh, assertively address it, it chases you. It haunts you. It comes and frightens you in the strangest times and places. Um, you know, you you do tend to, some of the obsessive behavior I was mentioning before is you begin to look in closets. You begin to look behind the seats in your car. You begin to feel like you're being watched and followed. Now, maybe there's a possibility we truly are, those that have been contacted. That's a real viable possibility, and you're picking it up after a while. But it's still a miserable feeling to have because it becomes a protective mode you go into, and... Um, there's a lot of fear, and I did a lot of silly things myself. Uh, Ann Druffle has a book out called How to Protect Yourself from Alien Abduction. I think that's the, the mm -hmm. name. Yep. I bought the book. I did buy that. It was one of the first books I bought. I was looking for something that would make this go away. All I wanted was not to be chosen, not to be picked, not to be chosen. Just stop this craziness. I don't want it. I don't want it in my life. So for a while there, I tried all kinds of strange things. I, I thought about getting some kind of a, um, you know, electromagnetic unit that would detect uh, some kind of uh, disturbance 
electrical disturbance in the room when I'm sleeping at night. I thought about cameras. I went through all kinds of things because I didn't want to be a victim. I wanted to get an answer. Yeah, this is a very real human experience, and that's the thing that that I worry is being ignored in the pop culture. Um, this is this is challenging stuff, uh, a challenging at a, at a core level that I don't think, you know, we even if we went back and forth for an hour, we could we could actually describe, you know, and and so you and I are sharing the same thing where I have received a lot of letters too. Um, often from very, uh, you know, people who are, who are suffering and who are confused. So, and I, and I'm not really in a position to give any answers. And oftentimes people call me or write me or email me and want some sort of answer. And I, I don't have anything, you know, I, I, it's, it's a, it's a hard role that I've, that I've found myself in. And also what I'm doing right now, these audio interviews, I take these very seriously, but just because of the feedback I've gotten, you know, the feedback being people thanking me for taking this subject so seriously. Um, so yeah, that so so when I asked you that question, I knew full well what the answer was going to be. Uh, you, you're describing um, somewhat similar to what I have have had. Now, one of the things that's included in the book is uh, illustrations, and these illustrations show a variety of. I mean, it goes well beyond uh, the standard gray alien that that um you know shows up on you know every other beer commercial mm-hmm. um, and uh i just want to say thank you because that what you've done in your dedication to to this is um i mean this is a, a an important contribution to to anyone who's trying to make sense of the big picture i guess mm-hmm. well um it, it really is after a while you know um the more I clarify this for me, the more I, as far as, if I don't put the pressure on myself to utterly define the actual phenomenon, is this an extraterrestrial contact I'm having? Am I actually being physically removed from my house or is my spirit being taken from my body? Um, are there, um, am I going to a ship or is this, you know, some kind of psychological, emotional uh brain issue that's happening are they able able to affect my neural processes there's all kinds of questions about how this is taking place and exactly what is taking place but having given myself the freedom to not have to uh, come to an absolute conclusion i became this um, information gatherer what that means is that all I have to do now for myself is tell what I see here, my response to it, and continue to build my hypotheses, which has grown dramatically over time. There's no doubt. I mean, I've changed. I'm not at all the same person that I was in this issue um, six, eight years ago. I mean, and, and, and neither am I. Yeah, this is um, interesting. But what that did is giving myself the freedom to just tell the story, tell my truth, tell my story. What's happening? What do you see? What do you remember? Next time it happens, try very hard to stay awake, Nadine. Try very hard to concentrate. Your, your, um, my way of being assertive is to try to get as much clarity, focus, and memory accurate as possible during these experiences. Bring it back with me. Write about it. Draw it out. 
So what you see in those illustrations is you see what I have stored in my brain, in my mind from these experiences. These are actual viable pictures of what I have seen and I have depicted it to the best of my ability. And so initially I was exposed during my first experience in June of 91 to two different um, entities. One, I understand later on, would be uh, generally in this study would be called a gray. Fine. That's what it was, the short gray. And there were a number of them. There was another one at that time that um, I know now, because I was exposed to it later, that I've heard other people refer to as a reptilian. And that's in the book. So my depiction of, uh, I have depicted in there, I think, five different species that I have seen and and I did not at that time mind you when I drew any of these my drawings are not at all a result of looking at anybody else's drawings at all these I drew myself with no knowledge of anybody else's not looking at having looked at any books any publications whatsoever they totally came from me one of the freakiest things that happened actually about two years ago um, I did. I was on a website now. The book's long written, um, and these drawings are done. And I actually ran across a drawing that another person had done, that was honestly ninety-five percent identical to one of the drawings that I had drawn um, of what I would call a um, a tall white. Shocked me absolutely shocked me it was quite evidently drawn by somebody else it was a different drawing but here we are in a different part of the country a different place i'd never seen it and if you took my picture and you took her picture you're going to look at it and go oh my god we've seen the same thing unbelievable and what was your reaction i mean was it did it feel good or did it freak you out honestly um i've come a long way in accepting it but I, I would say that it disturbed me. Yeah. It really disturbed me. Because, see, you want the answers. I'm more comfortable in this general um, investigative stage. I'm just collecting data. I'm just collecting data. I'm recording everything I see, everything I feel. I found a place where I can live and operate my normal life, integrate this life. And I found a mindset, if you will on how to live my life with this, how to research it, how to deal with it. But every now and then I get an absolute punch in the face when I hear somebody else, see something else, or see this drawing and said, Nadine, this isn't a game. This 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 really, really is real. Here's another human being. And so do I have moments of shock? Yes. Is it uncomfortable? Yes. Very. It's not something I go, oh, joy, look, I was right. No, not at all. Because still, I would rather not be right. I would rather still find some other condition, some other human condition that I could attribute all of this to. But I haven't been able to do it. Because, and, and, and being committed to telling the truth, being committed to, to revealing this honestly within myself and to, to an honest path of research, I can't kid myself. I saw that woman draw that drawing. In a different different date, different time, different place. She obviously saw what I saw. Uh, there's no walking away from that. 
Yeah, this is I that some of the, that's happened to me too where I've seen some things that someone has drawn one of the fellows from the uh Allegash, uh, his name was Chuck. I think that's right. Mm-hmm. Um drew an illustration that happened well after the events in in Maine on the camping trip and he drew an event where um these beings were peeking in a window. And um it it matched very similar to my experience and even his reaction was similar where he basically I, he said he he pulled the covers over his head and and just instantly went to sleep <laughs> so um and that's not a normal reaction no the normal yeah. reaction would be to jump up lock the doors you know grab a knife from the kitchen and right. get ready to defend yourself yeah i so. was getting ready for bed one night and this is probably well this was maybe 2006 okay so i was already looking at this starting to look at this issue and uh I was getting ready for bed one night, and I had my little dog. He was he was laying on the bed. I was brushing my teeth, and I had just um, the light was the light was still on in the bedroom, my nightstand, and I and the dog was lying on the bed, and I just sat down. My feet were on the floor. I was sitting up. I just sat down on the edge of the bed, and all of a sudden, boom! There's this big ball of white light that sort of bursts on the outside of my bedroom window. Boom! And I look at it and I think, what the hell is that? And all of a sudden, boom, the light comes in the room and it sort of it, it sort of does another crash at the bottom of my bed. Um, my dog is whining, making these terrible whining noises. He, boom, goes out cold. I mean, literally goes out cold. I'm looking at this light going, oh, my God, what? What do you think I did? I did the same thing. I jumped in bed and pulled the covers over my head. I mean, that's absurd. Absolutely. You know, your heart is pounding. The last thing you would want to do is, I mean, fall asleep. Yeah. (laughs) Fall asleep. You're being being threatened. You're not going to want to fall asleep. You're going to want to run from it. Your adrenaline should be pumping. You're going to want to defend yourself. You want to see what's going on. You want to call for help? You're not going to jump into bed, pull the covers over your head, and pass out. Yes, and what you're describing is is something in one way or another. Now, you and I differ where I have gone completely the obsessive thing where I have read compulsively over the last uh, yeah, yeah, 20 years on this subject. So um, so I feel like my filing cabinets are just you know brimming and spilling over with information, the filing mm-hmm. cabinets in my brain here. Hey, y- y- when we spoke earlier, um, I asked you to think about an experience that, that would be fitting to share. Um, I mean, there's so many things connected with this issue consciousness uh the soul uh, all these things seem to be somehow part of this overall phenomena you um mentioned an experience where the topic of god came up in the context of you know one of these uh onboard contact experiences mm, yes um there's been a few very interesting things that have happened um well, this particular instance was you never you never accept this kind of contact. You never come to a point, or at least I haven't. Let me speak for myself. I've never come to a point where I said, oh, here they are again. I guess I'm going to be taken. Okay. No, 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 no. There's 100% resistance all of the time. Okay. And the only resistance you can really do is, again, back to trying to maintain as con- your consciousness awake as long as you possibly can. 
in this particular instance, I was having a very difficult time, um, and I was uh, I was going through a terror over the experience. And this was one of these contact experiences, and I was completely, utterly terrified. And I had fallen to the floor, rolled myself over with my head over my hands over the top of my head, and I started to to um, say the Lord's prayer and pray to Jesus of all things. And um, Jesus help me, Jesus help me, oh Jesus help me, oh my God, oh my God. It was one of those moments, and I had a this is a a, a very terrifying moment for me, and. Um, I was in a room, I recall being in a room with two or three other beings. These were not gray beings. And my experience, all of the contact and communication is telepathic. There's never been any spoken words or spoken communication ever. But basically, telepathically, my experience with these entities, whatever they be, is that they really don't have a sense of humor those that I've encountered, these experiences of mine. And yet, there was some sort of amusement that I sensed on their part. And one of the things that can happen is there can be things like um, screens and holograms, that can, holograms that can appear in the air in front of you. Um, if you're going to be instructed in something or shown something. And in this instance, that's exactly what happened. Um, there was a, a telepathic communication that came to me during the instance it's, that was almost had a, a, a bemused tone to it. And it was, you don't, that's not how God is. That is not how God is. And they said to me very clearly, and there was an illustration on kind of a screen that popped up in front of me, and it showed um, these dots indicating individual consciousness and showing that the energy of life went through them. And they said to me something in effect that um, God expands as we expand and God expands through us as us. And that is the only time that anything like that ever happened. But... Um, it was very interesting because it was a concept that I that I already related to. Um, I, I I'm not uh, so much a traditional religionist, uh, but I have studied a lot of different aspects of religion and spirituality. Um, I've also studied um, religious science, and I could fully embrace the concept of God as a loving, creative force that's expressed through all of us as though the divine, the divine spark was within us and we express it. And that pretty much is what they were saying in that uh, experience. Um, and that was, uh, that was one of the really unusual contexts that had happened, that um, um, it was as though they were actually trying to set me straight, guide me or direct me. Now, normally, there's no contact with me directly. It may be about me. But through most of the years of my experiences, I am simply like, feel like a lab rat. My needs are not, I'm not asked, do you want to do this? How do you feel about this? I'm not instructed. I'm not told. Other than being told, you'll be okay, maybe. They have methods to keep you calm, certain ways of pressing your arms, your body, to calm your neural system down, um, your nervous system down. They have, um, but, but only 
later on in years did there start to be certain experiences and very specific entities that actually seem to take more note of me and to start to actually give me feedback on issues. Um, that was a whole new shift. Interestingly enough, the shift from being and being treated physically like a lab rat with a lot of physical tests and examinations, from that stage into the next level where there's more interaction, more information provided, more training and testing given, that seemed to come when I was when I could no longer reproduce. Once I went through menopause, everything shifted in the in in my in my experiences. Now this is I'm, nothing you're saying here is surprising me because I've heard this in one form or another before. So, but the, you're confirming so many other things that I've come across. Um, you mentioned the. Um, you know, the childbearing years having something to do with with this overall phenomenon. One of the things that I don't want to say, and I, I just wrote an essay on this, and I want to be very careful how I phrase this, but I've talked to a lot of women who have had this experience. I haven't been keeping accurate numbers. This is completely anecdotal. But my sense is that all of them have some sort of story that implies whether it's genetics or breeding. Uh, I know Bud Hopkins coined the phrase, and, and he used it where people would describe uh, seeing tiny babies. He called it the tiny baby syndrome. Has this ever uh, been part of your experience? Yes, absolutely. Um, what happens, you know, especially as you try to keep yourself awake, you know, initially with these things, you know, initially you're rendered, uh, they try to render you unconscious, or I believe there's an effect placed upon me to render me as unconscious as possible. In fighting back, if you will, trying to take control of my life, not be a victim, my, I have worked very hard to uh, try to stay conscious as much as possible, try to record information. Um, And only through that process have I been able to, I believe, through, it's almost like an exercise. It's a mental exercise that takes place where you're actually fighting. You learn how to stay more conscious, more focused. And you really have to take that fear level and bring it way, way, way down when one of these experiences happen, uh, which is a lot of practice and it's very difficult to do. But it's required you have to temper that emotional response and fear in order to see let's let's see what's going on and, and it's sort of like my that's where my anger came in alright fine I can't stop this but I'm gonna record it I'm gonna learn how to stay awake and I'm gonna take back as much information as I possibly can I wanna know what's going on here so as time passed and I became more able to be present longer. Now then when I say longer, you're not able to stay awake for very long. I mean, uh, if you can get in, you know, five minutes, you're lucky. If you could get, come in and out of something, you're struggling and fighting in and out of consciousness. It's almost like you're so drowsy and you're on the edge of sleep, on the edge of sleep. You pull yourself back. You get a little piece of information. You see a little bit. You go back to wanting to fall asleep and not out. You pull yourself back. 
It's that kind of a thing. And you get bits and pieces and fragments of information. Well, the more that I could do that, the more I was able to pay attention to the really, really scary issues, the really frightening aspects of the contact. And there were some things that were more, more frightening than the other. And some things that were more that I had, a, let's say I have a, a more of an ingrained prejudice. For example, if you said to me, um, I believe that um, they have used me in experiments to create hybrids of humans and aliens. Now, I'm going to right away say, don't go there, okay? Let's not go there. That's a little too far out for me. That's my basic standpoint. I don't want to go there, okay? But over time, uh, as time went on and I paid more and more attention, I began to get more and more bits of information. And yes, there were um, several situations where I found myself. Um, one of these was I had what I thought for years, way before 1991. Going back before 1991, I had what I thought was a dream. And it was this dream of this little baby girl. And she had very little hair on her head. And I, in this dream, it was like a reoccurring dream. I'd had a number of times. And it disturbed me. But in the dream, it was the same one. It was the same child. She was about the size of perhaps a, um, a two- or three-year-old. She was uh, nearly bald. She had only very thin strands of straggly blonde hair on her head. Her skin was very pale but in very bad condition, the skin. Uh, transparent sort of and flaky in places and um, I would be with her and I would always be in the stream I would be in a room and I there would be other what I I could never really see who they were but it felt like there were a bunch of people around me you know it could be like you know seven eight people sitting around me in a room they're all they're standing around me and I'm with this child sitting on a stool or chair and she's always there in front of me and I'm trying to comfort her trying to communicate with her and my heart is so utterly uh, moved by this child. I, I want everything in the world to give myself to her, to protect her, to save her. And I cannot understand why someone's not helping her. And in these dreams, each time I feel this huge commitment and dedication to take care of her, to make sure nothing happens to her. Um, anyway, that had happened a number of times prior to 1991, my conscious experience. Well... Many years later, I have an experience, and I am sitting at a table. It, these tables tend to be, light comes from very strange places. The light is very diffused in these experiences. Whether or not these are um, allegedly on a ship off planet, I don't know. But in these rooms, they're round, and light is diffused, and any of the tables that you sit at, appear to be kind of one piece. They look almost like acrylic glass. They're shaped in interesting ways, curvy. Light comes from within. I'm sitting at one of these tables. There is a being sitting across from me. There are several other beings off on the other side of the room on the right watching me. They like to watch you. They like to observe emotional responses, which I have some interesting thoughts about that I'll share. Um, And in this particular instance, all of a sudden, there's a, there's 
what appears almost like I can look up and I can see some sort of metal doors behind the other side of the table where this entity is sitting with me. And through the door walks this young woman. I say she's a young woman. She's not a human woman. She indeed looks almost like a combination of a human being and perhaps a, a sort of like a gray. And she walks into the room. She has absolutely no emotional expression on her face. She has her hair on, there's no hair on her head. She's nearly bald, but you can see very short, shaved, uh, sparse hair, like fuzz almost, it's blonde on, on the top of her head. Her eyes are very almond, not as large as the grays by any stretch, but they're large, they're almond, but they're blue. They're very blue. And there is white around the iris in this. I feel like she's being instructed and told to walk towards me. I'm looking at her. She comes, she walks towards me. She stands beside me. She places a hand on my shoulder. And I experience these radical, radical, overwhelming feelings of complete and total love for this female who if I was to give her an age she would be about 21 22 years old if I was to put an age on her in terms of what a human age might be and I am sobbing because I have some connection to her that I can't even begin to understand but as I'm sitting there, I'm getting flashes back to this little girl that was in the stream. And I recognize and realize, and they're trying to convey this to me, those in the room, that this is the little girl grown up. She indeed is a hybrid. And the suggestion is that my genetic material was used to create her. Now, that was a big step for me to try to... Um, step up a notch in this. This is a slow process, very slow process for me, of trying to identify and integrate these most unusual, bizarre experiences and possibilities, these possibilities into my life. Uh, that what this might mean, not definitively, I will not speak definitively of anything other than to say that I know I've had anomalous contact with non-human entities repeatedly. I know this. I believe this to be true. Exactly who they are, the reason, I don't know. But this is these are possibilities that begin to open up. And this was the first time ever, and it stretched me more than ever before since I began to open myself up to this. It stretched me more than ever when I thought, oh, my God. Could this be possible? Why do I feel this way for her? What is this? What could possibly what could possibly equate to this kind of feeling except the fact of a mother for her child? That's the only way this could have been identified. It's the only thing I could identify, whether I believed I was having dreams. Now, what's interesting, I went back to my journals and I looked at the dates. I looked at the dates that I'd met this young woman who never spoke at me and looked at me. She stayed by my side with her hand on my shoulder for maybe a minute. 
and she silently walked out the room. She was just dead, emotionless dead. She, I, she felt like a, like, she felt to me like she was almost a slave trapped with nowhere to go. There was a depressed state about her and she stepped out of the room. But going back to my journals, I looked at those dates when I'd had those repeated dreams of that little girl with that same blonde fuzzy hair, it was longer than, and this young woman. And that would have placed her and made her somewhere around 21 or 22 years old. And that coincided with what I estimated this young woman's age to be. And then I began to think, were those dreams dreams? Or were these indeed um, my way of coping at the time with these experiences? I registered them as dreams. These were going to be dreams for me because these happened long before. I had written poems about this little girl years before my experience in Sedona, years before I, I had even thought about contact or had any of this conscious awareness. I'd had these repeated dreams and I had these deeply, um, uh, this deep connection to this little girl and this, these extre- this extreme sense of motherhood about her. And I went back and I, I had written a, just an amazing poem about her actually when I was younger. Um, so the things that happened along the way that it's sort of like you've got 12 doors to go through and initially I can only stand going through one or two. But as you go through one or two doors and you're willing to explore, you get a little stronger, a little bolder, a little more confident. You gain a little more trust in the process. You gather a few more tools for handling the situation. And now you're able to go through door three and four and you get a little more information. Going through those four doors gives me the strength, the tools, the resources to suddenly now I can address step five and six and seven. And as time begins to to move along, suddenly you find yourself developing a fairly strong hypothesis about what's going on, gathering enough information, momentum, um, and intuitive um, experience that you start to stand on more solid ground. Um, but you're not ready to go through door 9 or 10 until you have fully processed door 3, 4, etc. ahead of time. That's where you get the strength, taking this a small little piece at a time, not tackling the whole thing. Yeah. And today is far different than where I was seven or eight years ago. Um, hey, so I want to say thank you for sharing that. I When I, when I asked the question... Um, as soon as I finished asking the question, I, I felt like I'd asked too much, and and uh, it felt a little like prying. So thanks for the honest answer. That was emotional to hear that. Um, and in earlier, just a, a few minutes ago, when I wrote this down on a piece of paper here, you talked about the experience changing, and you called something the next level. And and I want to know what you mean by that. Okay. Yes. Um, the initial level. Um, Prior to um, prior to menopause, was um, very physical. Uh, I felt I felt 
much less um, attention on me as a person. It didn't seem to have so much. It was very clinical. All the contacts were very clinical. They were organized. They were repeated. Um, they were very physical in nature. Um, the, the physical examinations, uh, the observations of the emotional temperament and responses in the human, that's how it felt. But now, once menopause came on, it became the contacts slowed down dramatically to maybe 15, 20% overall of whatever used to happen. And now they're of a very different nature. Now they tend to be more technical. They tend to be, I'm exp I've been exposed to more actual um, um, technical, physical processes of technology, uh, uh, and um, some of which I drew, I think, believe I drew a few things for the book. Um, there's more more interaction. I have one there's one particular entity that suddenly appeared and has maintained an active interest in me individually. An entirely different entity, unlike anything I'd seen before, appeared a few years ago and um, has, in some of my experiences, repeatedly shown up and had me do very specific things that had to do with um, almost testing, if you will where I've seen things happen. I've seen, I've been at a table and had thoughts and communications and all of a sudden seen my ideas appear in a hologram, like a cube right overhead, all of a sudden instantaneously. I've seen screens. Later on came screens where I began to see and almost like I'm being provided information, whether it be accurate or not, I don't know, uh, about things happening on the planet, the earth, ecology. Um, I've been pointed in certain directions. So it's been more educational overall more interaction um, with this one particular it's one specific individual which is interesting and can you describe that individual well oddly enough um, later on I did hear people talk about this later on once I started looking at the files and the term they used I would have told you that this entity would be one of the most frightening looking ones you could possibly imagine okay and yet of all of them there is an overall sense of compassion and interest certainly there is a clinical aspect of study being watched and studied but at the same time there is a greater sensitivity that you you sense um, a greater compassion a sensitivity and a recognition of my individuality. And this, this entity, this one soul, is, um, has an insect quality, um, does not have a normal face, um, looks like a, a, a bit like a praying mantis, and um, walks upright, wears uh, some type of material covering, um, you would certainly think they'd be one of the most frightening ones, and yet they are able to obviously uh, emanate somehow, uh, probably telepathically also, since they're all telepathic, they, they are able to convey um, a greater interest, concern, compassion than any of the others. And in this particular case, I had noted on several occasions, experiences, a sense that... Um, there was almost a sense of pride in working with me. 
huh, this is that's this is interesting to hear because you know so much of I mean some people and whatever I've talked to definitely the Love and Light crew a lot. Um, I'm fascinated by that that aspect of it, and then I've also talked to people who have the scary dark experiences and. Um, uh, you know, I wish everyone was having the, the love and light experiences. It just would be much easier to, to absorb. And, I wouldn't call this love and light okay. by any stretch. Um, it's not that familiar nor warm and pink fuzzy. It isn't like that. But if you were to compare it to the absolute emotionless, uh, clinical, detached sense you get from all the others... You don't even exist. Your feelings, who you are, has absolutely no relevance whatsoever. It is only with this individual you sense that they recognize you are also an individual. It's as though they've been assigned to you somehow to work with you now at this point forward. Now you have a role to play. Now you have a task at hand. Now you have an assignment to be done. It's entirely different. It's a very strange sense of something being uh, requested of you imposed on you, requested of you. Um, and it does have to do with the planet and survival, allegedly. I have, yes, again, you're, you're, I'm hearing things for, you know, more than the first time. Um, we, collectively humans, um, I feel strongly that, that we are much more than just physical beings. I feel like there's a spirit, there's a soul within us. Uh, these less tangible aspects are are often ignored in the overall experience. Is, is is there some sort of spiritual transformation that's that's taking place? I mean, the same way that um, like a shamanic initiation would would be um, undertaken to to initiate or to escort someone into a like a higher role within the village, let's say. I don't get that sense from this. Um, now, I do get a sense. I've had a couple of experiences that were... That, I mean, it's all bizarre. Let's admit this. It's very strange stuff. But I've had a couple of experiences where I was present, conscious, really extremely alert, extremely able to record information and bring it back, and yet I had no sense of my body. I could not see my body at all. Very strange happened to me on several occasions I could not see my body um, it was the, the most odd thing um, and yet I could feel movement I could feel, see, record hear, but I could not see the physical body um, and um, in relationship to the next level which I think the next level is when you are no longer... Per this is, again, hypotheses, hypothetical. Say, for example, this is, this is actually taking place. Say that your, your um, reproductive years are done. So on a physical level, you're, you've served your time, you, your, your reproductive years are done, your eggs perhaps have been harvested, there's no more to do on that level. Now the next level comes. The next level, you've moved into high school now. Now it's what else can they do with you to make you useful? They found you useful this other way. What are they going to do now with you to make you useful? Okay, perhaps they do want to preserve the planet. Perhaps some races do if this is what's happening. Are interested in preserving the planet Earth. Uh, are interested in the evolution of humanity. Um, 
All right, so now what are they going to do? Now perhaps you move into a different kind of contact with those that are assigned to uh, get you involved with different tasks. There, therefore, suddenly this one appeared a few years ago, this particular entity. Um, and different testing took place. I saw different things. Different things happened. Um, do I think it has a spiritual quality for them? Not necessarily. Their, their idea of spirituality, perhaps, may just be simply that the life, the life form is eternal and it just closed different bodies over time. Okay? They may not... I don't get a sense. I have not had a sense from any that I've seen. I've seen seven different species. I don't get a sense from any of them that they have overt, being overtly spiritual. But in this instance where I was moved to this next level with this particular entity, I did indeed have a feeling of that there's a role to play. Um, in other words, you can have a sense of, of um, you know, a, a sense of purpose, a sense of community, uh, contributing to the whole, to the need of all. There can be some altruistic uh, things, goals um, that are perhaps positive overall, say, to the human race, and that you could play a role for that. You could step up, you could participate, you could play a role in that. It does not necessarily have a spiritual aspect to it in itself. Ooh, let me interrupt. Could one of those roles be writing a book about the, the subject? Absolutely. Okay. Now, Barbara Lamb, Barbara Lamb felt very strong about that. Barbara Lamb had a very strong sense that she and I were supposed to meet. Very strong. Um, and and she, did you feel that at all? Um, no, I can't say that. I can't say that. I was greatly relieved when I met her, and obviously I was looking for her. I was looking for someone, and she was the right and perfect one. Um, but I was, you know, I was traumatized when I met her. So I didn't have that kind of insight at the time about it or any kind of, you know, formulated opinions about it. I wasn't sure what was happening to me. I was just doing what I needed to do. Whereas she, on the other hand, she saw the pieces come together and, um, she had some kind of experience herself later on that, convinced her that um, there was no coincidence in our meeting. She also believes now that we have, even now that we have something else to do, some more work to do, if you will. Um, so over time, what happened to me is, in the last few years, is I suppose you could call it spiritual. I've had my own, I have my own very deep spiritual life and that I have integrated this into, found a way personally. But as far as my behavior in this, towards this, I have certainly developed, uh, you know, I became a vegetarian. I became extremely conscious of the planet. Um, I support a number of causes. Uh, I am um, very much into everything from recycling to you name it. I mean, I, I do nothing but study and put more and more information on about saving and preserving our planet and uh, how to clean up the water, how to uh, health and nutrition. And I dove headfirst into everything about being the optimal human being I could be and into doing everything that I can to promote uh, a resurrection of this planet that is dying. It became forefront. 
I suddenly, you know, got online with, you know, the Facebook. I began to write about all kinds of causes and be involved. And, and I think that um, there may be a correlation there. Uh, oh, oh, you're describing, boy, you just went right down the checklist of me. Vegetarian. Mm-hmm. I teach for an outdoor school about appreciating right. the wilderness. I, right. uh, I, I did a, in, uh, this is well before, now here's like before I ever even pondered the fact that these these experiences may have intersected with my life i went through this kind of i like did a year where i didn't buy any clothes i did a year where i washed all my clothes in a bucket i i could have easily used the washing machine i just chose to do this just as as an experiment i did a year where i produced one bag of garbage yeah, you, the, right. what you're describing is hitting hitting home for me. And I'm on so. the same page because all I want to do is live off grid. I'm I'm looking at different pieces of land. I want to live off grid. I want to have a well on my land. I want to grow all my own food. I've been very much into herbal medicine and healing, and I want to grow my own herbs. And uh, you're, it, there, it, this whole thing somehow ties up. I agree, and I don't understand exactly what it is. That was when I when I, I used the word shaman when I asked you the question, and I, I ask every guest, you know, like the 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 same question, the shaman thing. Um, you know, uh, uh, Joseph Campbell would have described the shamanic initiation, where the initiate is not he doesn't he doesn't volunteer. Someone in the village doesn't say like I'm going to be the next shaman for the village, which would be the spiritual teacher, the the one that would play a role, the intermediary between the you know, this world and that world, mm-hmm. that other world. And and so they don't they don't volunteer for the job. What happens is the village elders choose someone, they drag them to the edge of the village and the initiation process is different. But what it basically amounts to is whether literally, you know, they they take them to the edge of death and then bring them back or, you know, Mm -hmm. some sort of metaphoric uh, ceremony would take place Mm -hmm. that would would impart the same thing. And so you have someone, uh, you know, being chosen not from free will, uh, traumatized, and then coming back to the village, the village being our society, with a role to play, and and so I, I'm struggling to to you know maybe I'm I'm trying to force that to fit, you know, but but I do see that pattern in this overall phenomena. Mm-hmm. Well, there's no doubt that, um, there's no doubt that this has. Um, now, would I have blossomed in this way? Would I have gone in this direction? I don't know. I mean. There's no way to know for sure, except to say that everything is integrated in my life. Uh, I'm a firm believer that wherever I've been has been necessary for me to be where I am now. So even this this interruption, this thing in my life, um, somehow I'm learning how to live with it, integrate it and uh, to find the best from it that I can, to be the best that I can be. And I have developed, strangely enough, a very strong desire to assist and help others in awakening to what I believe is the new reality now. I have indeed expanded my personal paradigm to accept that there is a new reality far greater than I even saw in my ordinary pursuits, and that new paradigm does include that the universe is populated with multi-species. 
that does also now include the fact that, yes, I do believe our planet is being visited by other species and has probably been for a long time, if not forever. Um, in accepting that, I've also somehow accepted that there is some role in my own life to play in this. And, it's, and it has become more important, far more important than my individual desire here uh, that I contribute, I make a contribution, that I make these experiences, whatever I've gone through, count for something. Um, be it helping to save this planet, helping with another little step forward somehow in my awareness uh, towards the evolution of humanity. And I realize that that's what this really is. This is, we're really talking about the evolution of humanity at large on all levels. And um, that's where this, this non-stop anomalous contact has brought me to, that there is a new reality and that I am a part of it, and that however long I'm here now, I will be doing my best to contribute somehow, some way, um, to, to that new reality. Uh, one of the questions I ask, or I ask this question of every single person who comes on here, have you had any experience with owls? Yes. And what would those be? Um... The place where I was describing, when I was describing the experience where the light came into my bedroom and I was fully awake, getting ready to go to bed, that was a uh, uh, an apartment that I was leasing that was, um, that would have been 2005, 2006, right at the turn when I was just making this turn, stepping out into this, starting to tell the truth. Owls started appearing around my apartment. Big owls. Okay. Now, were these real? Were these something I dreamed? But I mean, I, these weren't just owls that I, you know, I saw when I, you know, in a dream. I mean, they were actually owls around my apartment. And when, where was this apartment? Was this in a rural place where there could have been? Oh, yes. Well, it was my, my apartment was along the edge of a very large um, canyon. Okay. And I would come home at night, and there would be one on a branch, uh, um, like near my door, or something like that. And uh, did did you document these the same way you documented the the uh, other experiences? No, I did not. Okay. I did not. I did not really tie that in, to tell you the truth. But actually, around that time, during that time when I was just coming to the place of starting to go to MUFON and all of that, that was the first time that, um, that's the first time I recall seeing owls in my life. That's so interesting. Now, this is, for some reason, this this is a part of it. I don't understand why. I don't understand if the owl is a, is a metaphor that we're supposed to interpret or I, you know, like what you're saying is what I what I've experienced. I've experienced real owls, you know, really? not uh, not like a screen memory, you know, no. like where people will no, say like, oh, I was driving down the road and there was a four foot owl, and then the, you know, standing in the road, and I stopped right. the car, and then I was three hours late getting home. I mean, no. those owls, those those owls, I, I think we we can infer what right. they probably are. Right. 
Um, oh, these were real owls. <laughs> yep, and same with me. I have had lots of experiences with real owls. I live in a place with owls, so it's not it's not uncommon to see owls. But I have well, seen it them still with. Still, would such... be somewhat uncommon for me. I mean, we have a big canyon running through there, um, and I could envision there would be there would be possibilities for owls. But these were big owls. It was still kind of strange. Still kind of strange that that they should be there like that. And that they should show up with you at that time of your life. What I started doing, what I've started doing is whenever I see an owl, I will just say like, what was I saying right at this moment? Um, and I have had, uh, so here, I'll just tell you a quick story. Uh, uh, and people who've listened to my podcast are going to roll their eyes and like, Oh, Mike, not this story again. Um, so anyway, a young woman, uh, we went camping. I had, it was in a way it was a first date. Uh, like I live in a place where the camping is beautiful. I teach camping. It's totally, I'm in my element. We went to this beautiful spot. I live right near Grand Teton National Park. Uh, the sun is setting. I'm making dinner. And then all of a sudden, one owl appears, flies around, lands near us, lands in the branches near us, near us. Then another one, and then a third owl. So three owls hung out for what would probably have been, I don't know, well over an hour, just hanging out around us. And then, um, and it was they appeared, and I remember this very distinctly. Like we were having this conversation, and I was like, "My God, this is an impressive young woman." I'd had no idea that there was this depth to this woman. And right at that moment, the owls appear. We had a beautiful time camping. Uh, later, I said, hey, let's go camping again. So we went camping about four days later, just for one night. We went to the spot. It, we, it was cold. So I said, oh, let's let's climb this hill. It'll, so we can go up to the top of this hill, watch the sunset, and then get into the tent. And, you know, So we'll be a little warmer. And uh, we get to the top of the hill. We watch the sunset. And then three owls land ah. near us this is this is less than a week <laughs> apart same woman completely oh different area i'm actually convinced they're the same three owls later i i said you know christy what were what was um what were you talking about the night when we saw the first set of three owls because i remember we were talking about something and it, and it made an impression on me i can't remember exactly what we were talking about and she said oh i remember exactly what we were talking about she said i was trying to define my deepest most heartfelt impression on what god meant oh my and that's when the owls appear now that happened in 2006 so the wow. same year that you're describing your owls showing up and and wow. i have had i could i could i could go on for an hour and tell stories just like that so um i won't but here now let me just ask one more question mm-hmm. um synchronicity have you experienced synchronicities is that you feel are connected with this somehow well, definitely synchron- more synchronicities in my life uh, than ever before. They've escalated in the last, uh, I'd say, yeah, I'd say in the last uh, five or six years, uh, definitely escalated. I don't know that I have attributed it to this event or anything, but I do see that in my life. It's as though my life in general is escalating somehow moving forward in an invisible way, elevating internally, externally. I feel very deeply something majors in the works. Okay, that's a good answer. That's a good answer because um, uh, I got on my high horse at a certain point and I said, hey, you know, UFO abductees, they have more synchronicities than, you know, than the general population. And my um, this girl I was dating at the time, she kind of rolled her eyes and looked at me and she said, anyone on a spiritual path will have synchronicities. 
and <laughs> and she's right and so what i came away with was you know like the implication is that the ufo abduction process or whatever vocabulary word you want to use is somehow connected to the spiritual path um, i don't know whether that's true or not but it, it fit well, together very tidy in that situation ultimately whatever all ultimately we have very complex lives and the reality is it's all part of my life for example or all part of your life so it is all part of the package what is a spiritual life what does spirituality mean but to stand back and look at the whole the sum of everything and how it's impacting you and where it's sending you how it's developing you living the spiritual life means you're paying attention to all aspects of things that come your way and using it to propel yourself forward into greater awareness consciousness love all of that you know so this is part of it yes this is definitely part of it it may not be for everybody but it's certainly a part of it for me and obviously a part of it for you so there are spiritual components to it so does that have something to do with the synchronicity obviously it must yes now here's my final question um, and this is something that, you know, so, so uh, uh, UFO researchers, people who research this thing, people like Barbara Lamb, have a little checklist of things that they'll ask. And I've, I've gone ahead and collected these checklists or these questionnaires. You know, like I can kind of write down, well, sure, I've had bloody noses growing up. Oh, I've got, you know, uh, uh, RH negative blood. There's these little things that I kind of like, oh, this is. And one of the questions that I actually have to like I feel like I have to like you know grip the pen with my fist and make a big giant X and underline it ten times, is that is do you feel a sense of mission, and I'm just I know I do and I'm just curious where you're at with that question. Absolutely, totally, completely. Yeah. Driven by a mission that's that's in many ways unknown to me, heading towards some kind of a. Uh, um, a conclusion, uh, an ultimate goal, um, yes, absolutely. And uh, if I was to tell you what I think that is, <laughs> hypothetical, again, I would tell you that I am going to be used as a liaison to help those that are stunned when this comes out into the open. When the great reality comes out that we're not alone, I have been led to believe it's going to be in a very large and dramatic way. When that happens, there will be many people who do not know how to make an immediate shift. Therefore, they will turn to a number of us who have been experiencers. And because we have already pondered this, dealt with it, integrated the concept into our life, we will act as liaisons to help those who have been previously closed to this reality we will help them step into the new reality they will turn to us to find a way to cope because there will come a point where there is no more holding it off there will come a point that we cannot hold this at bay anymore this life this progression has a life of its own and it is growing evolving the planet the earth all the cosmos we can't avoid this that's what i really believe now and we will indeed be used for different reasons my particular role what i feel my destiny is while i'm here on this earth will be to do that do i think that the great reality will come upon us before my death yes i do I am 60 years old. I turned 60 this year, which is mind-boggling enough. But 
I'm in very good health. I fully anticipate being here at least 20 to 25 more years. I know that during that time, this great reality will be born. And that's what this mission that I'm driven for and being created for. And, 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 and that's the hy- hypothesis that, is, that has developed within me as to where I'm going. Let, may I step back one second? I want to tell you one other thing. Oh, please do. Something. Just to, for the record, as far as bloody noses and some of the physical signs, I've had all of those. I would wake up with my ears bleeding in the morning. I would wake up with my sinuses bleeding all over my pillow after an experience during the days when I was having very physical contacts. Um, just a little note because you mentioned that. That's one of my checks on my list. But back to the mission, yes, there's my mission statement. <laughs> well, good. And I don't, I, I, my, my hypothesis on what it may or may not be is unknown to me. My, what I have, what I have experienced is, and I'll, I'll just give an example. There was a woman that, um, in fact, it's interesting. I was at a, a conference in uh, Scottsdale, Arizona last February. Um, this would have been February of 2012 this year. Uh, I was actually walking by Barbara, and Barbara saw me, and we, it was an outdoor seating, and people were eating lunch, and it was between two lectures, and she kind of waved over, and I sat next to her, and I said, how are you doing? I hadn't seen you. This is great. And and then there was someone sitting at the same table, and, and I saw she was with her husband, and she pointed at me, and she basically said, that's him. That's him. And um, I, I wasn't quite sure what she meant, so I kind of made an effort, like after the lunch you know thing there was over i went up and i introduced myself and she she thanked me for the work that i'm doing and it would oh, be oh, these nice. it would be and i don't even whatever like i got this dinky little site and i do these little interviews and i do and i don't have any whatever like i don't get that many hits but she obviously had been following me and it meant so much to me and it made me rethink you know like I, I feel like i stumble around in a fog sometimes like oh you know like this existential angst like what am i supposed to do and how, how am i proceeding like what does this all mean and um right. you got confirmation and i got a well different than confirmation i got a uh uh it it, it was it made me it made me feel very worthwhile like me isn't you know like it was it was it, it was a very profound sense of accomplishment um yeah Wonderful. yeah yeah so. well and it is it is because you're risking too you're taking your time you're taking your energy and putting yourself out there and, and i'm sharing something that like you know a lot of people would dismiss outright as insanity totally. we are risking looking the buffoon we are risking uh as some of us our our reputation some people don't stand up because of their career they don't stand up because they'll be mocked uh, considered mentally unstable, rejected by family and friends. There's a lot of possibilities. Those that stand up and start to talk about things that have, you know, never been spoken about, regardless of what the subject might be. There were days back when, you know, issues of abuse and, and child abuse and incest and that type of thing never was talked about. There were days when alcoholism, drug addiction wasn't something socially proper to talk about. Times have changed, and all those people that sit up to talk about the new things, the new expanding realities, whatever they might be, they all stood to be, um, you know, stood up to be uh, 
negatively mocked or or rejected and and so you standing up taking the time the energy uh standing up for truth your truth we talked about that the other night um and that's what this is about this is about being willing it's beyond our individual self it's stand it's now is about taking a stand for truth and uh, I'm sure there's many people who have listened and looked at your work. I looked at your blog, and I loved it. I was very impressed by it. It takes a lot of time and energy and commitment. And you could be doing a lot of other things, but you're not. <laughs> and then the, so, somehow, you know, in early on, we you know use the word obsessed, you know, or obsession. And I'm not, I, I, uh, yeah. So the blog has taken on a life of its own, and I feel like right. I've, I'm, you know, I, I really throw myself into it. Hey, um, this turned out beautifully, and I just want to thank you so much for, um. I mean, just the standing up for one's truth, you're an example of that in the sense that, you know, that book that's on my desk right now, uh, I'll make sure to put a link to that and put a link to your site. You know, whatever's going on. I'm coming out, which is going to be very interesting because I am now brave enough to start to talk about this in a new level in writing. And I'm going to be um, coming out within the next six months, the Alien Experiences 2 is going to be coming out and it's going to be some of my personal experiences much better defined and uh, some of the interactions I've had with others over this issue. Um, and these are things that, you know, heretofore I was unwilling to discuss. You know, like, again, back going through the doors. And now I'm willing to take it to new levels myself. You know, get a little bit braver as time goes on. And and the, and I think the what's happening, two things are happening. You're getting braver, and the population at large, I sense this. This is not, I mean, whatever, I, I can say this with an absolute. Mm-hmm. The population at large is getting braver at... at, at embracing or let's just say being People open to these it. ideas yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah yes well this is great mike i appreciate you asking me to uh, speak with you yeah and it went wonderfully thank you so much yes and i and um hopefully we'll get a chance to meet someday sounds great sounds and, great and take care of your dog oh yes i will take care of my dog three thousand dollars later my baby <laughs> oh murphy Yes, Murphy. Okay, the cat. All right. So, what do you do? You go back and you edit this, then, and then. Um... I go back. I edit it. I clean up the spots where you know we stepped away, and and um, and then within a day or two, I'll put it up online. I'll make you know a link to it. I put a little introduction. Um, I found some nice pictures of you online on your Facebook page and on the. Oh God! Uh... Can you believe how many photographs? What ends up online? It's oh, it's unbelievable! unbelievable. Un- unbelievable. Un- I unimaginable. Looked at, so, I, how many photographs of me are out there? I know. I know. It's on. It's on. I I did a book on on lightweight backpacking. So I've got like you know whatever. I've got like this alternate life. And then there's 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 a YouTube video of me uh, teaching you teaching how to wipe your butt in the mountains. So. Oh my goodness! <laughs> it's so funny. Yeah. I mean, you know, once you step out anymore, it, it, you, you got to just expect if you're willing to do that, it's going to go everywhere. Well, but at the same sense, like every, I mean, whatever, like, you know, whatever, every, there's a lot of stuff on the Internet. Yes, of course <laughs> so, so it can very much get lost, you know, like that's almost well, like a blessing in a way that, um, you know, there's so much stuff on the Internet that, you know, whatever, if there's something embarrassing shows up, it's, you know, no one's going to see it. no one knows your name. Yeah. You know, <laughs> Okay. Well, yes. Yeah, so within a, within a forty eight hours or so, maybe okay. even by tomorrow afternoon, I think the editing will go super smooth on this. I enjoy the process. Um, well, it's been great talking with you both times, Mike. Great, thank and you. and I look forward thank to meeting you for all you're doing. And and you too. All right. And I'll keep in touch. All right. Take care. Bye now. Bye.